Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church Podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. Welcome to the last, this is week eight, of a seven-week series on the seven marks of a disciple. So what's this all about? Um, Today's the day when when we sort of try and put it all together, just like Todd sort of put it all together for us last week, the, the seventh mark of being a disciple is discipleship. That we're not just disciples ourselves, we're disciples who make disciples. And that's true of us individually, but there's another reality, there's another layer to that, which is that it needs to be true of us corporately. That we need to not only be individually disciples who make disciples, we need to be a church of disciples who make disciples. And what that means ultimately then for us is church planting. And you'll see that as we sort of go through the scriptures and talk about that. So if you remember, we have these seven marks. Three of them have to do with our relationship with God. As Todd said, three of them are up. It's prayer, it's worship, it's the scriptures. And I want to say a quick word about prayer. Um, In each week as we were doing these things, we tried to offer you something practical. So for scriptures, we had Bible reading plans. For worship, obviously, here we are. We come and do this together each week. Um, For prayer, we started a prayer meeting on Sunday mornings before church. Nobody came. So, We've stopped the prayer meeting that no one comes to before church. So we're going to back it up a little bit from prayer. Uh, Rather than just like, okay, let's all jump in and pray, we're going to do a class on Sunday evenings about prayer. Susan Murphy is going to lead a class Sunday evenings that's going to start next week, October 3rd, 7 to 8.30, where rather than just kind of we're all going to pray for the, uh, the whole time, We'll do some teaching, we'll have a book, we'll do some reading about prayer, we'll talk about prayer, we'll share some things, and we'll pray, right? We will both learn about prayer, talk about prayer, and practice prayer, especially learning and practicing about praying what God wants us to pray. As Susan says, I really like this, she says, we want to have an ear in heaven so we can be a mouth on earth, What are the things that our Father wants us to pray for? So starting next Sunday, 7 to 8.30, Susan is here, right? Susan, wave. Susan will be out by the table with uh, our mission partners with the books if you want to see it or talk to her about it. Uh, I'm going to be there. Please come and join us. I'm looking forward to learning more about this as well. If you want some more information, if you want some more practice, if you want some more learning and teaching on prayer, we'll start that next week. So, these three up elements, prayer, worship, and scripture, there are two marks that focus in on our church, that focus inward, that's community and service, and then there were two marks, remember, that focus outward, that's mission and service, because service can look either way. It can look into the church or out to the world. And then Todd wrapped it up with the seventh mark of discipleship. So today, I want to take that and talk about it corporately. Talk about church planning. And so I'm going to do this a little different than I normally do a sermon. You know, normally we'll take a passage of scripture and dive into it. Today we're going to do a survey. So open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We are going to do the first 14 chapters of Acts today. But we're not going to, I'm not going to read. This will be one of the very, very few times I don't read the whole passage to you before we actually do it. We're going to go through and look at how this works out in the life of the early church. Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. 
So in the Gospel of Luke, Luke writes the story of Jesus and his ministry, and it ends with Jesus, you know, Jesus and his disciples, and then he goes back into heaven at 40 days after his resurrection. Acts is what happens next, now that Jesus is gone. So turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. And Luke actually backs up just a hair and goes back to some of the things Jesus said, because that's going to become important. So in Acts chapter 1, if you have a red letter Bible, there'll be some red. It's the last red you're going to see in scripture for quite some time, because after this, Jesus ascends into heaven, and that's where he is now. He's waiting for the time that the Father has prepared that he will return. But if you start in verse 4, it says that on one occasion, while he, Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then later he picks that back up again in verse eight. This is soon before he, uh, he goes back into heaven. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so hang on to that sentence, it's important. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's a city. In Judea, that's the area around Jerusalem. It's the province. In Samaria, that's the province just to the north of Judea. And then everywhere, to the whole world, Jesus says. And if you go through there in chapter two, sure enough, it happens just like he said. This is 10 days after Jesus has ascended back into heaven. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. Jesus died and was resurrected during Passover. He was on earth for 40 days. He went back into his father's kingdom. Now, here, 10 days later, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on the believer. Pentecost is important because it's a holiday. So the city's jam-packed full of people. It's not just the people who live there, of which it's a big, big city. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But it is like double the size because people have come from all over. And the Holy Spirit falls. Peter preaches the very first sermon, which I would like to point out if you look in chapter two. The way he preaches a sermon is he reads a passage. He reads Joel chapter two, verses 28 to 32, and then he explains it. And he pulls in some other cross-references. He pulls in some things from Psalm 16. He pulls in a verse from Psalm 110, but he reads a passage of scripture. He talks about it and he makes application. So I have, I want to say, preached the book of Joel one time in this church. So I feel like I'm, you know, I'm doing well here. I've got just like Peter's. So the spirit comes, amazing things happen, and then look all the way at the end to verse 41. This is chapter two, verse 41. Those who accepted his message, that's Peter's sermon, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now these are all Jews. These are all Jews from all over the world who have come to Jerusalem for this celebration. And the church has gone from being a few hundred people to being a few thousand people. And notice what it says afterward. Luke gives us this little summary, this synopsis of what's going on. They, that's these big group of Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Now, do you hear the things that they're doing as Christians as disciples, as followers of Christ. They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, they had the apostles. That's scripture for us. They were devoting themselves to this, to, to the words that God had to speak to them. They devoted themselves to fellowship. We call that community in our marks. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. For us, breaking bread is having a meal together. They're talking about communion. 
What, what we do in every service, they did in every service. They celebrated communion. They remembered Jesus' death and resurrection. That's worship. And then the last thing he says is they devoted themselves to prayer. So they devote themselves to scripture, to community, to worship, and to prayer. And if you go on down a couple verses, they sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who was in need. That's service. Like this is part of where we get these marks from. What does it look like to be a Christian? This is what it looks like. It looks like what the early church did. That's five of the seven marks. What's missing? Mission and then discipleship, replicating it. And as we're gonna see, they're doing a great job of discipleship inside the church. Like Tim said, you've got these two wings of discipleship, teaching and bringing people. When people come to them, they're doing a fabulous job. But what did Jesus say? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Listen to what happens as we go along. So go on, in, you're in 247, flip over a couple chapters to chapter four, verse four. I'm just gonna hit a couple highlights as we go along. Again, this is more that's going on in the church. Many who heard their message, this is Peter and John preaching again, believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. That means 5,000 families. They've gone from a couple thousand people to 5,000 families. So how, like, okay, conservatively, let's say a, a family, that's what they mean by man, they mean head of household. Let's say conservatively that's four people. The church is now 20,000 people in Jerusalem. Flip on over, if you will, to chapter five, verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So it's growing again. More people in Jerusalem are becoming Christians. Flip on over to chapter six, verse seven. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So a little while ago, we had about 20,000 people in the church. Since then, it has grown seriously, grown rapidly, and lots of the religious leaders who persecuted Jesus are becoming Christians. Like, this church is going gangbusters. We are probably four to five years after the death and resurrection of Christ at this point. Like he doesn't say that exactly, but trying to sort of put the pieces together of what happens when we're four or five years after Jesus died and resurrected. And this church has gone from nothing, quite literally, to tens of thousands of people in the city. We don't know exactly how many people lived in Jerusalem at that time. The, the, the Jewish historian Josephus said it was about half a million, right? Josephus is known to exaggerate. Like me, I, I confess this, Josephus is known to exaggerate, sometimes for dramatic effect. Let's say he's doubled it for dramatic effect. That means there's a quarter of a million people who live in, in this city, it's like greater metro Atlanta, greater Jerusalem area. There's about a quarter of a million people a couple years ago, there were 20,000 Christians. And since then, it has grown dramatically. Think about the percentage of this city that is Christian. Like at a minimum, it's 10%. It's probably way more than that. This church, this is slowly taking over the city of Jerusalem. 
Everyone is becoming Christian. Can you imagine what that must have been like to be in that church that just keeps, I mean, what's the biggest church in America today? It's like 40 something thousand. They might have that beat. This is enormous. They are taking over the capital of the capital of all Israel, the capital of Judaism. They're taking over Jerusalem. Every day, more people become Christians. And remember what Jesus said. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and you will take the city over. No, that's not what he said. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Hey, check. Samaria. Judea. Ends of the earth. They are going gangbusters where they are. And when people come to them, when Jews from around the world come in for the holidays, oh wow, do they make disciples. But they have no mission. They don't have the mark of mission. So flip over another page or so to chapter eight, verse one. Stephen, you probably know that story. Stephen is stoned. He's the first martyr in Christendom. And then chapter eight, verse one says this. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. They didn't do what Jesus told them to do. Like they started it, wow, they started great. And please understand, I'm not saying anything they did was wrong. It was great. People were becoming Christians. They were devoted to five of the seven marks of discipleship. They were devoted to all the ones about them and God, and they were devoted to all the ones about them and the other believers. They just weren't devoted to those ones that face outward. They were up and they were in but they weren't out. And that is sadly the reality of so many churches. Like Tim said, we're really good at you know, teaching them to obey. Oh, baptizing them, that, as Tim says, that leaks. That's harder. It was for them. They didn't do it. And so it does not say God did this, but I think so, and most of the commentaries I read agree. Like Luke will tell us later, they went way beyond Judea and Samaria. He's probably saying it that way to link it back to Jesus' command. They were supposed to go out. Remember, Judea's just the land. I mean, that's like us going from Atlanta to Rome, Georgia. I mean, it's just a region right around the city. And Samaria is like going to Tennessee. It's not that far. But they didn't do it. They stayed and they got bigger and they got bigger and they got bigger and they got more and more excited and everyone was turning to Jesus. They were great on up and they were great on in, but they had no out. They weren't making disciples anywhere else. If you came to them, it was great, but they weren't going to anyone. And so God, I think, says, I can solve this problem. The word here that says scattered, it's only used three times in the whole New Testament. It's here and we'll see the next two as well because they come back up. It means sowed. It's what you do with seed. The believers were sown in Judea and Samaria because nothing was growing there and they, I think, because they had not gone and they were supposed to. So God sowed them like seed He sowed them out into those places. And what does seed do? It grows. 
That's what happens. Look, if you will, just in eight, just go a few more verses later. Verse four, those who had been scattered, again, it's that same word, those who had been sowed as seed, preached the word wherever they went. Remember, that was Jesus' great commission. We translate it, go into all the world and make disciples, but the go is not a command the way Jesus said it. It's more the idea of wherever you end up, wherever you go, make disciples. They preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. The gospel has gone into Samaria, finally. What Jesus told them to do five years earlier has finally happened. But I think God had to scatter them like seed to make it happen. Flip on a little while later in chapter, uh, same chapter, but in verse 26. This again is Philip. This isn't Philip the apostle, by the way. This, this is just a guy, Philip, in the church. He's one of the deacons, right? I mean, I mean, he's not one of the top, not one of the elders, not one of the apostles. He's just a, a faithful guy who was made a deacon, a servant. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candrake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was on, on his way home, was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So this is a Jew from another part of the world. He's a Jew from Ethiopia, and he's come to Jerusalem to worship as good Jews should. And now he's on his way back, back home. And the spirit tells Philip, hey, go near that guy. Go down there, stay near his chariot. Pick up the story in verse 30. Philip ran to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Is it himself or is it somebody else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travel along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave order to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. A Jew came to Jerusalem from the ends of the earth. God sent one of his servants to save him <laughs> and then God took the servant away immediately. And the guy went back to Ethiopia. We've never seen that happen yet. They always seem to stay. They come to Jerusalem, they get saved, and they stay because there's no church back home. If you come from Cyprus or Cyrene or Sardis or any of these places, there are no churches there. So they, it seems like they stayed in Jerusalem. They became Christians and they stayed. Here finally is a guy who goes back home. The Ethiopian Orthodox Church exists to this day. It has over 35 million members. It traces its history back to this guy who came back home and started telling people what that passage in Isaiah meant, who he was talking about. Someone has come, been saved, and gone back home. Flip over 
if you will, again, in chapter nine, go up to verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Hear that phrase, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, not the churches. There's still one church. It's centered in Jerusalem. It's spread out, but its leadership is still in Jerusalem. Direction still comes from Jerusalem. It's sort of like a multi-site thing. You know, if you belong to the church, you probably go to Jerusalem, but maybe you're in, in one of the other assemblies, but there's still just the church. Now flip over, chapter 11, start in verse 19. Now those who had been scattered, and there's the third and last time this word appears in the Bible. Those who had been sown like seed by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Antioch is in the very southern tip of modern day Turkey. So it's about over 700 miles from Jerusalem. Spreading the word among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyrus, Cyprus and Cyrene. So Cyprus is an island, modern day Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. Cyrene is modern day Libya. So these guys aren't from Jerusalem. Some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Like what Jesus said he was gonna do, it's happening. People are going out into other cities. They're telling people about Christ and people are turning. They're becoming Christians. Look at what it says in verse 22. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. It's the very first time in scripture any church is named with a city. Because now we're beginning to have more churches. You have the church in Jerusalem. Flip over now to chapter 13. Start in verse one of 13. Now in the church at Antioch. That's the first time any church has, anything's ever been called a church that wasn't based in Jerusalem. Antioch's not in Israel. It's in a whole nother province. It's not a Jewish city. It's a Greek city. But the church at Antioch. There were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. There's five leaders in this church, five guys who, who give direction, who speak for God. And the Holy Spirit says, I want two of them send them away. Don't stay. Can you imagine? I mean, there's more than five people in leadership in this church. And who knows how big this one is. There's five of them listed. And the Holy Spirit said, I want two of them to leave. I want them to go. And they do it. They don't just sit and become a bigger and bigger and bigger church at Antioch. The church at Antioch is brand new. Like, we don't know exactly how much time has passed, but it's a couple years at most. The Holy Spirit said, I want two of your leaders to go elsewhere. And they fast, they pray, they lay hands on them, and they send them out. And so it says in verse four, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. And off Barnabas and Saul go. And you know what they do. 
they travel around. If you've got a Bible that has headings, right, that my next heading says, in Pisidion Antioch. That's actually in central Turkey. And then if you flip over to chapter 14, it will say, in Iconium. And then after that, in Lystra and Derbe. And then when you get to verse 21, my Bible says the return to Antioch in Syria. Because now, They've gone all the way through central Turkey in these cities, preaching and folks have become Christians. And now they turn and they trace their route back. And so look at verse 21 of chapter 14. They, that's Barnabas and Paul, they preached the gospel in that city, which is the city of Derby. it says right above, and won a large number of disciples. Because that's what they're doing. They're replicating disciples by planting churches in other cities. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So now you don't just have the church in Jerusalem and you don't just have the church in Antioch, you have the church in Derby, the church in Lystra, the church in Iconium, All of these cities have churches. And do you notice they all have their own leadership? They're not all being led by the church in Jerusalem. They have their own elders. Now, they still look to the church of Jerusalem as the oldest, most established church where the apostles are. When there are issues, they will look to the church of Jerusalem and ask the church for advice, for help, for explanation. That's what will happen in, verse, in chapter 15. There's a big controversy. And they're like, okay, let's go to Jerusalem and talk to the apostles. They've been Christians longer than anybody. But each of these cities now has a church. And that church has its own leaders. This has been God's plan from the start. And I think everyone in this room is a recipient of that. Did anyone here become a Christian in a church in Jerusalem? Anyone? Okay, so all of us are from a planted church. These guys, in their generation, they planted churches all over the Roman Empire. In the next hundred years, they would go out of the Roman Empire and plant churches other places. Eventually, this church got planted. I mean, we didn't just, you know, spring up full grown from the ground or anything. In the early 1970s, a guy named Tim Crater graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary and led by the Holy Spirit, moved to Dunwoody, Georgia and planted a church. And we're all sitting here 45 years later because exactly what happened in the book of Acts happened. A guy was sent by God from Dallas to Atlanta. He planted a church. People turned. Disciples were made. We're still here. We are part of that chain. This is how God replicates. This is how God takes us as disciples. And yes, individually, we should be replicating. We should be helping other people to come to know Christ and to grow. But all together as DCC, we should be doing that as well. Just like what happens in Acts. Kind of looks to me like you got two options. And one is you can do it and send people out. And the other is you can sit around until God scatters you like seed. Because he's going to keep doing this. This is how God saves people. If Jesus showed up in that parking lot in all his glory right now, we would all be face down. Everyone in all these houses would be face down. He doesn't need us to do this. But this is his way. This is how he wants to do it. This is God's preferred method. 
for replicating, for making disciples is church planting. And we wanna be a part of that. You've heard us talk about it. Like that is where we are going as a church. We don't wanna be the original church at Jerusalem that just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you come to us, oh, we are so good. If you will come in this room, wow, we will help you grow. We will help you become a Christian. We, we will help you if you come to us. We wanna be a church that goes out as well. Now, not everybody went out. Heck, just two guys out of the church at Antioch went out. But we wanna be a church that is sending people out, sending out to church plant, sending out to, to go to other parts of the world as we have sent other people, as this church sent me about 30 years ago. You sent me out as a missionary. And then 10 years ago, I came back. We want to keep doing that. So if you remember, I told you that I was on sabbatical two, two summers ago. You graciously gave us the month of July off. Elizabeth and I went up to New York. And one of the things I'm doing in these weeks off, sitting in a cabin in New York, is I'm praying, okay, God, what's next? Like the church is stable. It's solid. What do you want us to do? Who do you want us to be? And it was really clear that what we had been talking about in discipleship was, and church planning, that's what God wanted us to do. God wanted us to be a church that sends, that, that plants other churches, that, that sends missionaries. It's not about how big you are. It's about obedience. Jesus said, do this. So we want to do it. So I'm like, great, God, that's in the Bible. I'm good with that. How are we going to pay for this? Like, this isn't cheap. You can't plant churches for nothing. I'm like, great, here. Okay, you all, go plant a church. Fly, be free. There you go. It, it, it takes work. It takes energy. It takes resources. It takes people. I'm like, okay, God, how are we going to pay for this? And I was really confident the Lord said, pay off the mortgage, right? We're paying like $18,000 a month on this building to pay off the rest of the mortgage. We had about a $2 million mortgage at the time. Pay off the mortgage, take that money because we're paying it. We're not going into debt. We are paying all that money every month. Then take that money you spent every month on the mortgage, use it on church planting, use it on missions, use it on ministry. Like, excellent God, that's a great idea. Where do you want me to drill for oil? I need $2 million, great. I mean, you probably don't want me to rob a bank, but if a $2 million bill were to appear in front of me, I promise, Lord, I will pay off the mortgage. I will not spend a dime of that on myself. I will go out and start, you tell me where to dig, I will dig for oil. How are we gonna pay this off? Because $2 million is a lot of money and we're not a big church. And in my Bible reading, as I'm going through, I come upon this really interesting word. Rob, will you throw it up for me? It's the word sunel dukumen. And it means to agree. It's when a group of people get together and they make a decision and they all vote yes. It means we vote yes. But I've told you before that the language, the, the Bible, the New Testament is written in, loves to make words by sticking other words together. So there's actually four words stuck together there. The men at the end is we. The doku is to, to, to think something is true, to, to expect something to happen. The L, the E and the U, that's the word for good. Yes, the language word for good is ew. I don't know why. The last, the last part, soon, that means together. That if you read this word left to right in the language it's written in, Koine Greek, it means we agree, we vote yes. But if you read it right to left, 
in its parts. It says we expect good together. That's what these people thought of. When they said, yes, I agree to something, what they're saying is, I think if we do this together, we've decided together, if we do it together, then it'll be good. That's what they mean when they say yes. And it was like light bulbs went on for me. It's like, oh, we're not gonna find oil. Nobody's gonna drop $2 million on us. We're gonna do it together. Okay, we're not a huge church. Okay, we don't have gold mines in the backyard. That's okay. We can all expect good together. And so I don't know if you remember, but the first week of February in 2020, I laid all this out for you. It was a six-week series. 2020, starting in February, six-week series that was gonna end the second week of March with all of us coming together and agreeing. We were all gonna sunel dukumen. We were all gonna say yes. We were gonna expect God to do this together. And we were all gonna pray and say to God, okay, what do you want me to give? Do you want me to give? It's all your money. Every dime in this room belongs to God. Every dime on the planet belongs to him. It's all your money, Lord. What do you want me to do with it? How, do you want me to give? If so, how much do you want me to give? Over what time frame? What do you want me to do with your money, Lord? We were all gonna come back the second week of March and have decided that and add it up and see if it equals $2 million. Because if it doesn't, then we gotta do it again, you know, and that gets kind of old. So you all know what happened after the first week of March 2020 in Georgia, right? We never came back. We never came back and did week six of that series. Maybe this is week six. Maybe it's not week seven. Maybe it's not week eight of the seven Mark series. Maybe it's week six of the We Expect Good Together series. This is the next right thing for us. If we are going to look like this, like a church that plants churches, like a church that sends people out, okay? Hear me. It is my plan to send many of you away from DCC to send you to other places to plant churches, to send you to other churches that are dying to revitalize them, to reach out to other neighborhoods. We all live in different places. It is my firm plan and desire to send many of you out to other places. If you would like to go to Africa as a Wycliffe missionary, I would love to talk with you about that. This is the heart of God. This is what he wants. This is what he has been doing since 30 AD. What we need to do is pay off this stunningly beautiful building. I love this building and I'm so glad to have it. But we need to pay it off and take that money and spend it on ministry. So I'm gonna ask you the same thing I asked you in February of 2020. You know, we can do the whole, I can do the whole six-week series again and we can walk through stewardship and all those things. Or we can all just go ask God what he wants us to do because it's his money and we belong to him. If you follow God, if you call yourself a Christian, then everything you have is his and he gets to decide what you do with it. And if you call DCC your home, then I hope you'll pitch in and be part of that. I mean, Elizabeth and I have, heck, lots of you already have. It was a $2 million debt in February of 2020. It's a $900,000 debt today. We have paid off, amen. <laughs> By God's grace and your generosity, we have paid off more than half of it without talking about it. 
So I'm not sure whether I'm jinxing it by saying something or not. I hope not. This is the next right thing for us to do in the church. So I wanna read you a place that I go all the time when it comes to generosity and comes to giving. It is from 2 Corinthians chapter nine. All of 2 Corinthians eight and nine are great for for understanding God's heart about generosity. I'm just gonna read you the end. This is from chapter nine, verse 10 and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God will bless you so that you can turn around and be generous with others. That is what I am praying for all of us in this church. That God has blessed us and that God will bless us that God will bless you financially, that money will show up for you in places and ways that you did not expect. When that happens, remember why it happens. It happens so you can be generous. And again, many of you have been, thank you. I'm not into guilt when it comes to giving. Paul says over and over in this passage, give generously because you want to not because you have to. Don't give because it's a requirement. Give because it's a joy. This is the next right thing for us, to to be like these churches in Acts that eventually resulted in our church. We need to pay off this mortgage so we can take that money and start spending it on ministry. Ask the Lord what he wants you to do. Ask him if he wants you to be involved. If he says no, don't do anything. It's his money. He's allowed to tell you no. If he says yes, do it. He will bless you abundantly. He will give you what you need. You know, again, I'm not talking about like, oh, well, you know, normally I give $100 to the church here, so I'll just give it over here instead. All right, then we'll pay off the mortgage, but we won't pay the other bills. So God will bless you abundantly. When he does, remember this. Remember he's blessed you so you can be generous. Hey, we are not the Lord's only servant, right? That does not mean you have to give it to this church, But I think for most of us, if this is our church, that is what God's gonna do. But if the Lord says, take that money and give it over there, then give it over there. All that we have belongs to him. But but this is what we're doing next. This is the next right thing for us. To, To do what scripture tells us we need to do. Be Jesus' witnesses everywhere. First thing we need to do is pay off the mortgage here. So I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna pray for God to bless you. I'm gonna pray for God to speak to you. I'm gonna pray for God to make it so clear what you should do, that it will be blindingly obvious. That if you're married, you're gonna turn to your spouse and say, how much do you think we should give? And they're gonna say a number and you're gonna have that exact same number in your mind, right, down to the penny, right? I'm gonna pray that God will make this so clear to you that this is what he wants you to do. So let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are a good and a gracious God. I mean, you could do all this yourself. You don't need us. You could do all of this and and it would happen way better than us being involved. But you like your children to be in part of what you're doing. I mean, it says over and over again that you saved people, you added to their number, but you did it through people preaching. You did it through people sharing with other people. You did it through guys that you had sent out into other cities. Thank you. You did that for us 40 some odd years ago. We all sit here today because you sent a man from Dallas Theological Seminary to plant a church in Dunwoody. Thank you. That is so kind of you. 
Lord, we want to continue that. We don't want that, that chain of church planting to end here with us. We want to continue it. We want to be part of what you are doing to reach the world. And so, Lord, I think you have told us the next thing we need to do is pay off the mortgage. So, Jesus, I pray for me. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for all of us, those of us who have already given and those of us who haven't. How do you want us to be involved? It's all yours. Everything we have is yours. Our very lives are yours. How do you want us to be involved? What do you want us to give? How do you want us to pay this off so that we can do the next right thing? And I am excited about whatever that will be. You will show us at the right time. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you will do just what Paul told the Corinthians. You will bless them abundantly, that they will have an abundant harvest, far more than they expected. And then they'll know that this is you. This is you supplying for them so they in turn can be generous with the church and with your people. Jesus, that's what scripture says you will do. So I pray you would do that. I pray it would be obvious to us that you are doing this and this is how you want us to respond. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You are so, so kind. Move in us. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. This is yours. I don't want to spend your money without your permission. So speak to us, Lord. We ask it in your name, Jesus. We love you and we're yours. Amen.